trouble for the sake of making trouble and disturbing people out of their broken ways of doing things. Right? Jesus didn't come to make trouble just to make trouble. Have you ever been sleeping and somebody comes in and they just flip the light on? How many of you get really happy when people do that to you? So are you not fans of light? Why don't you like that? Because the light disturbs us in the darkness, right? Jesus was a troublemaker in the sense of he disturbed the places where we got comfortable into broken and dysfunctional ways of being. And for some of those people, what that needed to look like was eating and drinking. Some of you might have, you probably missed what we were talking about if you weren't here last week, but there's a recording of it. But I basically pointed us to the passage in Matthew 11 that, uh, that Betty and Sarah did an awesome job of kind of bringing back into our consciousness a few minutes ago. This idea that Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. And what I pulled out of that was that, is it possible that Jesus, who I grew up thinking had no personality, who always wore like a bleached white robe, you know, his hair was always perfectly parted, and, and his beard was always neatly trimmed, and all of his teeth were pearly white and straight when you didn't even have a, did they even have toothbrushes back then? Think about that for a minute. But we have like this, this oxidized picture of this pristine, serious, stern Jesus, and yet he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, there was probably more life in Jesus than we realize. And so I made the statement that maybe he was even a little bit of a troublemaker because light disturbs darkness and life disturbs death. Makes trouble. You don't put somebody to death for sitting in a corner, not being a threat to anyone. So all that to say, I stand by my statement that Jesus was a troublemaker in the healthiest, most loving, most life-giving sense of the term. Can we track with that? Can we all move forward together with that explanation? I just got a little bit of healthy pushback last week because I was trying to be a troublemaker um, because Jesus said, follow me, and I was like, well, I'll follow you. I could follow you in that area. So, yeah. Hey, I'm Chris, by the way, for those of you that it's your first time here or... Yeah, maybe you came here a while back when Cody was still up front, but I'm Chris. I'm the new community architect here, and we've been going at this for about two months or so, and it's been a blast. It's been a ride. We're talking about brilliance and beauty, the life and personality of Jesus. We're trying to stay away from, if it's okay in church, to try to stay away from theology for a while. We're trying to stay away from history even. And there might, there's going to be a little bit of history in what we talk about this morning. But we're trying to actually go into the Scriptures and look at Jesus as if He were, imagine, an actual living, breathing person. How many of you guys find, just, this is a quick little thought experiment. Have you ever found yourself reading the Bible and you realize that you're reading it with the same life and energy that you read a school textbook? Anybody? Come on, raise your hand if you've done that before. just want to make sure I'm not just talking crazy. And when you read a novel, do you read it a little differently? How many of you actually kick your imaginations into gear when you're reading a novel? It's like, I wonder what this actually looked like, felt like, sounded like, smelled like. How often do we bring that sense into our reading of the Scriptures? 
iffy, right? So what I'm trying to do is we're trying together as a community to say, hey, what if we look at the person of Jesus in 3D? What if we came to the scriptures, not as a textbook, but as a novel? What if instead of just saying, Jesus, what are you trying to teach us about life through this? Jesus, who are you as a person? Because I want to know you for you, not just the truths you can give me to change my life. That's kind of where we're at. I'm looking forward to it. We're only two talks in. This is the second talk. But what we're going to look at this morning after I pray is Matthew chapter 5. And I want to really hone in on the, the first, well actually, yeah, the first word up here, the brilliance of Jesus. I want us to see maybe for the first time in regards to this specific passage that Jesus was absolutely brilliant and creative in the way he did things. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll launch in. You guys are like, he hasn't even launched in yet? No, I haven't. Yeah. Jesus, you were no dummy. You are so full of life. You are so full of color. You are so full of personality. You are so full of creativity. Would you help us all this morning to get to know you even more deeply and more closely as a person, not just teacher, not just Lord, not just giver of truth, giver of light, but literally as a person, as a friend, as a brother. Would you help us to get to know more about you, how you operated, the ways you thought, the things you said, the reasons why you did what you did? Thank you that your truth is not just black and white text on a page, but your truth is living and life-giving and relational because it's a person, because it's you. You are truth. And so may our eyes be opened in a new way this morning to your truth, to you, the person of you. Holy Spirit, you love to shine light on Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, come in a way that we haven't experienced maybe in a while. Open our hearts and our minds. May you help what you want to show us this morning about Jesus to land in our lives because you care so deeply about what we're going through and where we're at and what we're processing and what's bewildering us and what's frustrating us. You have something to say in the midst of that because you want to be involved. So we open up that space to you. Speak to us through Matthew 5 and some scriptures that have maybe become overly familiar. For your kingdom's sake, we pray. Amen. Hey, turn the other cheek. Anybody ever heard that statement before? Turn the other cheek. If somebody asks you for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. How many of you have had a chance to obey that scripture? Nobody in here is wearing a tunic or a cloak. I am disappointed. And what's the other one? If somebody asks you to go one mile, go with him a second mile. And that's become a catchphrase. That's like a, a little idiom we have in, in American culture, right? Go the extra mile. What do we mean by that? Have good customer service, right? Is that what Jesus meant when he said go the extra mile? Have good customer service? Maybe. Turn the other cheek. How many of you... Have ever been frustrated by those verses because you feel like Jesus is asking us to be a pushover? Yeah, I see one hand. <laughs> I see some nods. It's like, really, Jesus? Turn the other cheek, and we picture kind of. So, 
put it in a parenting scenario, anybody with kids, you have a, your child gets in a fight at school, and you want to say what? You want to say, stand up for yourself, don't you? And then your pastor says, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And so you're like, all right, son. Next time you get in a fight, go turn the other cheek. And they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Is Jesus asking us to be a pushover? Is Jesus asking us to be a doormat? Is, it, is that the common kind of interpretation that you guys have heard with that, though? Is it, it, does that land with anybody that we don't really know what to do with that? And so we just think Jesus is saying, hey, just go get beat up. Don't fight back, right? This is what I want us to see. So has anybody ever had to make a decision? I know I'm doing the typical, as a, when you start a sermon, you have to bring the the people in by asking a question. So I'm asking you a question. Have you ever had to make a decision? And you say yes. Okay, so good. We're all, we're all together on this. Have you ever been... F- <laughs> yeah. I, I do like response. Let's hear some amens and some hallelujahs. Even if you're faking it, even if it's out of context. I could be mid-sentence. You give me a hallelujah in mid-sentence, there will be life here. I'm like, I'm trying to finish a point here. Quit hallelujah in me. No. Um, we can get more. <laughs> yes is fine as well. Um, you guys can get as charismatic as you want. So we have to make decisions. And what does this have to do with Matthew chapter 5? We'll get there. I'm going to need some audience participation because I do like response. But have you ever been frustrated at your lack of options within a decision you're trying to make? <laughs> have you ever thought, you ever felt stuck between a rock and a hard place? <laughs> Look at this. I love this. Thank you, Betty. I was, I was going to bring a picture. At some point, we're going to hit this like oversaturation point with the, <laughs> with the response, aren't we? But <laughs> what have you done? No. We often feel like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Or we have this saying that I don't know if I could say here. So I was like figuring out what to do with it. And I was going to show a picture of a beaver dam and be like, if you do and if you don't, right? Because I can't say that word in, in church. I don't know if I can say that word, but we have that saying, right? You're, I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm blanked if I do, blanked if I don't, and stuck between a rock and a hard place. And we feel this way about a lot of our decisions in life. And what if Jesus actually has something to say to that? And what if that has something to do with Matthew chapter 5? So, Cam, will you put that up there for us? You've all heard this before. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's from the Old Testament law, isn't it? We're going to talk more about that someday, not today. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. We'll come back to that. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What does this have to do with decision-making and being stuck between a rock and a hard place? What does this have to do with wanting to tell your kid to fight back but feeling like you're unbiblical if you give give your kid permission to fight back? Have you ever felt like the only options in a situation were either to be victimized or to be the abuser? 
Have you ever felt like the only two options were to either be passive or to be aggressive? And Jesus is saying, well, not so fast. So I need a volunteer, somebody that is in the mood to hit me. Who wants to hit me? Come on, somebody wants to hit me. Larry wants to hit me. You know what? I don't like how this is going, so we're going to switch roles. I'm good good with that. that. Larry, I'm really excited for this. Let's let's put this over here. (laughs) Larry and I practiced this this morning. Um, All right, now I need another volunteer to be my stuntman. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, you can you can come up next, okay? Um, I need a stunt double. Where's Chase? Where did Chase go? Chase would be a good stunt double. So, all right. So, Larry, notice the words here. Does it just say in general, if somebody slaps you? What does it say? If somebody slaps you, where? How? If somebody slaps you on the right cheek. That's pretty specific, isn't it? Now, here's something. Let's, let's come front and center. I'm going to, let's keep the, yeah, you can, we can be right here. All right. Cultural thing that we need to know. There is no way that Larry, as a first century person in Palestine, is going to hit me or use his left hand for, left hand for anything else besides, let's just say they didn't have toothbrushes or toilet paper. So, uh, not to, yeah, I'll leave the rest of the imagination, but let's just say that his left hand is unclean, and everybody that Jesus was speaking to was going to know that. So Larry's left hand is unclean. So Larry is using his right hand to hit me on the right cheek. How is he doing that? Very acrobatically? What does that mean? And teeth flying. Larry is doing what to me? He's backhanding me. If somebody strikes you on the right, everybody turn to the person next to you. I'm just kidding. kidding. Some of you thought about it. No. What does a backhand say about the social standing of the two people? Do you backhand an equal? Do you backhand your boss (laughs) and keep your job for very long? Who do you backhand? This isn't confession time. No, like generally, okay? Some of you are like, does he really want to know who I backhand? No. Um, (laughs) You... You backhand your subordinates. You backhand people that are lower than you. If you're a Roman, you backhand a Jew. If you're a husband in this culture, you backhand a wife. If you're an adult, you backhand a child. If you're a master, you backhand a slave. You backhand somebody that's lower than you. And you're saying, look it, you better know your place. Because I know mine. Do you think that could be helpful to know when we look at this passage? So think about this for a minute. Larry backhands me, and I say, that didn't feel good to my cheek or my ego or my sense of dignity. And Jesus says, don't fight back. Don't backhand them back. Turn them the other cheek also. So all of a sudden, what have I done? I've turned my left cheek to Larry, If he's going to backhand me on my left cheek, try that. 
you're either going to have to use your other hand or get really clumsy with this one, right? It's not, try it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that felt really like, <laughs> made him feel like a man right there. <laughs> he's going to, if he wants to strike me again, you know what he's going to have to do? Please don't. No, I won't. <laughs> you can if you want, actually, but he's going to have to use a fist, isn't he? If you use a fist to strike somebody else, are you saying that you're better than them? It's something done between equals, isn't it? So is it possible that Jesus is not saying become a pushover, but he's also not saying fight back in the same way they're fighting you, but Jesus is saying level the playing field but find a way through to do that that resists passiveness and aggressiveness. In other words, by turning the other cheek, you're saying, you and I are equals. You're not going to treat me as somebody lower than you. But I refuse to play your game and engage you in this game of violence. Do you guys see that? It's kind of different than we normally interpret that passage. Do you guys think that's a legitimate, a reasonable interpretation of that going on there? How many of you think that lines up more with the heart of Jesus as we know it than just go get beat up and take it like a champ, right? Um, you can sit down now. You, I hope you got your fill, and thanks for being gentle. But So I want you to see that there's a common theme running through all three of these, and we're going to look at the next one in a minute, but... Do you see that though? Jesus isn't saying meet them on their level and he's not saying go ahead and just let them beat you down, but he's saying bring yourself up so that they are forced to engage you as an equal. In other words, you're not stuck between a rock and a hard place because I'm smart enough to help you find a way through. Okay, what about the second one? So, it says... If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If any of you have been in a lawsuit, if you are suing somebody for their clothing, what does that probably say about their financial status? We, even, we have that statement, right? You, they even want the shirt off my back, right? It comes from Jesus. So the context of this statement is that, were you aware that in the, the time of the first century, the Romans basically who were occupying the Jews' territory, they would tax the Jews up to 40% of their income. Can you imagine if taxes were 40% of your income? Some of you guys feel like they are. I don't think they really are. 40%. These Jews would literally have to take out loans in order to pay their taxes. Some of you feel like you're probably in the same boat. <laughs> they would literally have to take out loans to pay their taxes. So there's a little bit of brokenness in this system, isn't there? Wouldn't you say? So Jesus is talking about a tunic and a cloak. And one of them was an outer garment and one was an undergarment. What they would even do sometimes, these in courts, these money lenders they would actually ask people for their outer garment as collateral on the loan. Have you ever read in Deuteronomy? It says something about if you've taken someone's tunic as collateral on a loan, give it back to them at night 
so that they don't freeze to death. You ever seen that? You're like, that is a weird law. But that was something that would happen. Literally, people would be sued or for collateral have to give. Um, what's our banker's name? Well, so, so Greg's our treasurer. So, <laughs> so, so Greg says to me, hey, Chris, I don't know if you're going to be able to pay this back. So I need you to give me the shirt off your back so that I know that you're going to be good for paying back the loan. So I'm like, all right. I'm going to be kind of cold. <laughs> and what does Jesus say to do? Give him your shirt as well. I was so tempted not to wear something underneath this. <laughs> I thought that would be shock value. And then, but there would be traumatizing. Then we'd have to kind of contribute to therapy for everybody. And I didn't want to go there. So all that to say... I'm not going to take my shirt off, but, and don't use your imaginations. But Jesus is painting a picture of somebody literally giving the clothes off their back. And then in the middle of a courtroom, this undergarment that he's talking about, this, we have the word, where is it again in there? Um, give your cloak as well. It represented this undergarment that was okay to wear in public, but you didn't wear anything underneath it. Think about a swimsuit, maybe. It'd be kind of the equivalent of a swimsuit. It was something that you could wear in public, but you wouldn't be wearing anything underneath. So Jesus is literally saying, go ahead and just strip down naked in the courtroom and give them all of the clothes off your back. And we're like, awkward. Right, where's Zachary? You need Awkward. I love how he says it. Um, I'll get that back from you in a little bit, but... So Jesus is literally, and like I said, I'm not going to do it, you're welcome, but Jesus is saying, strip down naked. Now here's something that we don't often realize. In the Jewish culture, it wasn't the person that was naked upon whom the shame fell. It was the person that was seeing the person naked that the shame landed on. You see how that plays into this? So imagine, so imagine that literally this person strips down naked. Don't you think that the person that's asking for their clothes would maybe be shocked into kind of evaluating really what they've gotten themselves into? Jesus was saying, don't just go and do that to others. Don't fight back in the way you are tempted to fight back. But expose yourself. And in exposing yourself, you'll expose the brokenness of the system into which this person has bought in. And just maybe it'll give them a chance to see the light. Does that make any sense to you guys outside of my head? Do you see how creative that is? All of a sudden, they're like, this is so ridiculous. I literally have this poor person naked in front of me. What am I doing? What are we doing? What is going on here? And don't you think that some of them, I mean, if this was ever actually done, don't you think they'd be tempted to rethink the practice? But it wasn't a rock in a hard place, was it? It was a way through that Jesus gave. Now, last one real quick, because how are we doing on time? 
Yeah. These are fun for me. I, the first one is the most fun because I get to get hit and somebody gets to hit me. But um, I need another volunteer for the third one. So if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is Jesus' customer service leadership advice, like we said. He's like, come on, Telosa Press, take care of people. Brickhouse Barbecue, you know, make sure that you're really looking out for people. Pete Support, Rainscape Slope, make sure that you're really take, going the extra mile for people. Or not. So I need a volunteer that, that's in the mood to um, put me in an awkward place. Somebody else, come up. Come on. All right, Al. You know what? Let's get one other person in on the party. Uh, give me one more person, just for fun. Come on. Somebody's tired of sitting already. <laughs> Greg Fry's tired of sitting already. Thank you for admitting it. All right, Al, you look like the boss. You're going to be the boss. All right, so Al, will you come? Go ahead and take a seat on, on Captain, Captain's chair here. Greg, you are a sturdy Roman soldier. This is your pack. It weighs about 60 to 85 pounds. He's up for the task but he's a little tired of carrying it. He sees a not as well-built peasant. peasant. Hey, thanks. <laughs> you filled that in so naturally. <laughs> he sees a not as sturdily built young peasant boy, naked, because he just got out of court. Um, and he says, he says, hey, young naked peasant boy, you need some attire. No, he says, hey, carry this for me. I'm tired of doing it. So he literally, so he was Roman soldier. This is his general, all right? He has permission from him to force me to carry this 60 to 85-pound pack. But only one mile. Because these Romans weren't stupid, and they knew that they didn't want to have riots and revolts on their hands all the time, and you want to put limits on kind of, I mean, it's so commonsensical, right? If you're going to be an oppressor, do it within certain boundaries. Um, they, they knew this. They weren't stupid. So, so there were laws in place that could protect, in a sense, what these Roman soldiers could do to these peasants. And one of those laws was that you can only force them to carry your pack for one mile, because we don't want to riot on our hands. So Greg hands me his pack, and I crumple under the weight of it, and I go see him later for a hernia. But so, so Greg and I are walking, and we're walking along, and, and there's, the roads actually were marked with mile markers. And so we're walking along, and he knows that, that the mile marker's coming up right here, and he knows that his boss is watching. And he's like, um, you know, I, I'm good to take that back now, right, because you no, he's watching. So you want your pack back, don't you? Yeah. Okay. But I'm like, no, 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 no. I follow the way of Jesus. I like to go the extra mile. Customer service is our forte. So let's, let's keep going. I got this. I don't want to burden you. So we're going. Now, now think about this for a minute. What has happened to the dynamic as soon as we get to this mile point, and I refuse to give it back? What's he going to be going through his mind? 
<laughs> uh oh. <laughs> His general is not going to be too happy, right? And so I'm like, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, let's go, let's keep going, let's keep going. And actually, let's go back this way, right? <laughs> Come on, let's, let's head back here. Did I ever resort to becoming his oppressor? Did I play into his game the way he wanted the game to be played? Or did I set a new rule for the game that changed the dynamic? Do you see that? So I'm going to keep this, actually. Um, and you guys could sit down. Uh, it was just an example, boss, so don't, don't, don't give him what he deserves. But <laughs> they made up so quickly. That was not realistic there. Nor was it rehearsed. Thank you, guys. And thanks, Larry. But, so simple illustrations, but do you guys see how different? I mean, when I first came across this, I think it was a guy named Walter Wink that, that first started discovering this. He did some research because he was like, I'm not into the pushover thing. That doesn't resonate with how I understand God to be. It has to be something else. And so he began to dig into this, and, and it just, it, it was fascinating to me because to me it just says Jesus was so brilliant to not just be limited within these kind of mutually exclusive, polarized alternatives of A and B, or a rock and a hard place, or blanked if you do, blanked if you don't. But do you guys see that? And the hope that I have is that just maybe this would kind of free us up, or even put us in a place, I guess bringing it around to what it means for us, Maybe you guys are already thinking of some examples where you're like, man, if I knew that there was a C alternative instead of just A or B, I would feel so much lighter. I would feel so less frustrated. I would actually be excited about moving forward. There's a, there's a quote that I came across a few uh, months ago. And it was very, actually about six months or eight months ago now, and, and it said, part of the key to spirituality is learning to sit inside a creative tension until a third way emerges that honors both sides. Can I say that again? A key to the spiritual life, my paraphrase, is being willing to sit in the midst of a creative tension. Because tension likes to pull us to one side or the other, right? Isn't that the nature of tension? It's like they're magnetic poles, and one is sucking us this way, and one is sucking us this way, and it's exhausting to sit in the middle, isn't it? But this quote, this author said, part of the key to spiritual life is being willing to sit in that tension until a third way emerges that honors both sides. In other words, brings both sides together in a beautiful, non-compromising third way. And Walter Wink actually calls this the third way of Jesus. He says that Jesus refused to play the games of victim or oppressor. Jesus refused to play the game of passive or aggressive. Jesus refused to play the game of only A or B. And he said, you know what? I'm creative enough to find a C, and it's a way that's going to actually be life-giving 
and it's going to restore dignity to people. And we'll come back around to this, but just in case you haven't made the connection yet, Jesus practiced what he preached, didn't he? Wasn't Jesus ultimately the one that turned the other cheek when he was slapped across the face? Wasn't Jesus ultimately the one that gave the clothes off his back and allowed himself to be seen naked to expose the brokenness of the system and the culture around him at the time? And wasn't Jesus the one that carried a heavy Roman apparatus on his back for more than one mile so that we could all be set free from the system that causes people to act that way? Wasn't Jesus kind of smart? To me, it makes me think, man, I'm so glad I don't have to figure out life on my own. I'm so glad I have somebody that smart in my corner. Or maybe I should say, I'm so glad I'm in the corner of somebody that smart. So has this got any of you thinking? You guys, anybody have kind of a scenario right now, like a conundrum that you're sitting in here, like maybe Jesus has a third way through for me? I don't know, I'm not necessarily asking anybody to share it, but, and you're welcome to, but I, I, I want us to just see for a minute that there's this creativity that Jesus offers us. He says, look it, I'm, I'm really good at this life thing. Remember last week I mentioned? Jesus never apologizes for being better at life than us. He simply offers us his life in place of ours. It's like, good thing. Yeah. Did you want to say something with it, Al? Well, I've just... been uh, not struggling with something, but it's it maybe a reverse situation, too. I don't know. I had a guy, uh, I parked in my office in the red zone, it's not an official red zone, so I paid advantage of that. <laughs> the previous renters made it. So I parked here, and one day I had a note on my truck that sounded like, Somebody said, I hit them. <laughs> and I'm like, I haven't driven my truck all day, so how did I hit somebody? And what they were is they were nervous, I guess, from the rain and snow that they put on my windshield wiper. And so I kind of I called them and figured it out. But I was all fired up. I was like, how are you telling me I hit you when, <laughs> when I haven't driven my truck all day? I've been in my office. But anyways, what they had said was they had scratched against my bumper and uh, so I, when I understood that, I went out and looked, and I go, okay, so this messed up my bumper, but it didn't break it. So I have never called them back because what I felt like was, and this is kind of how I think is, and I don't, like I said, I don't know if it has to do with this, but maybe it does, is that I was illegally parked, and it made it hard for this guy to get around the corner. And I have this little blemish on my truck, but it kind of reminds me not to illegally park. <laughs> and so I'm, I actually was thinking about this this morning, driving up. Do I want to write him a note and say, hey, I was illegally parked, and I'm sure it was really hard for you to get around the corner, so I really don't want you to repair this. Hmm. You know? and, and to me, that kind of hmm. a real little reversal of what's going on, but that's kind of how I was thinking. Hmm. I go, really makes it hard to get around the corner when I was parked the way I was. Right. You know? But I was, I think about that, I was thinking about it all the way up here because every time I see that on my truck, my flesh says, oh, you gotta, you gotta pay me a fix, they hit it. 
Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, to kind of like land it with this in another way, it's like, do I let him pay for it? Or do I keep my mouth shut and not say anything? Maybe the way you're saying is Jesus' third way is taking ownership in a way that he's going to be like, seriously, dude, you're taking responsibility for my bad? Hmm, now where have we seen somebody do that before? <laughs> yeah. Huh. I just, I get excited about this because I'm like, Jesus was so brilliant. He was so brilliant. I mean, think about all of our, how often in our decisions do we get stuck in this or that, right? So many of our decisions are whether or not, sort of the A or B, and Jesus is like, no, there's, there's another way through this. If you'll take the time to sit in it and invite me into it, it doesn't have to just be this or that. Sometimes it's yes, right? But sometimes it's this whole other thing. It's this third way. And I know that that's caused me to think differently about decisions. Um, I want to... Oh, there's something I was going to say with that, but I want to kind of bring it around and just see, yeah, maybe we could take some time just to pray for each other if there's something that's kind of weighing on us. Like, I, I don't really know the way through this, but does anybody have, um, yeah, maybe just pictures or, or words that, that kind of have, have come to you throughout the day from God that relate to this or that you feel is appropriate to share? Yeah, Sarah, and I'm, 